Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Kathy Grace and Dr. Kenya Wolf with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. Hello, everybody. We're so glad you're joining us again for Heads Up. It's a podcast for children and those who care for children and how we can improve their lives. I'm with Dr. Kenya Wolf, and today we're so fortunate to be uh, having a conversation with Todd Parr, who is a world-renowned author on uh, certain specifics around young children's development and uh, particularly on self-esteem. And so we're really glad that you're with us today, Todd. And I'm going to get started by asking you, I hope, an easy question, and that is, what led you to be a writer and illustrator of children's books? Uh, thank you for thinking of me for being here. And also thanks for doing what you do to help make life a little bit easier for kids. Um, I never intended on becoming a writer. It was by default in school. I, um, had to repeat second grade because I couldn't read. I had, was able to memorize books like Go Dog Go that my grandma would read to me all the time. But by the time I got to second grade, they realized there's something's not right here. And, and then it was just you were listed as a slow learner. So I had to repeat second grade. Um, I did learn how to read, but I also fell in love with drawing and tracing the outline of Snoopy. Because later in life, I found out I had dyslexia, I had attention deficit disorder, all these things that weren't recognized then. You were just slow learner placed in a different group. And, um, you know, I, that's, I excelled at art all through school. That's all I wanted to do. And I did not do well academically in school, but art is something I, uh, I just like constantly kept thinking about. And then I became a flight attendant for United Airlines and I traveled around the world. And that's one sure way to gain confidence is that job. Um, something I didn't have when I was younger and the more confident I became, the more I started to think about my dreams, think about what I really wanted to do. Um, and the art thing had never left me. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do it regardless of what anybody says, because I did get an F in art class in high school. You know, that's another topic we can talk about, <laughs> but you know, I just said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to do what I want to do, what makes me happy. And painting and drawing was one of them. So I started painting. I put my art on anything I could find from secondhand furniture to canvases. And then I started doing T-shirts. And then I was wanting to show my art. Of course, no galleries were interested. So I saw art at restaurants. I contacted a few restaurants. One of them was Wolfgang Puck's Post Trio in San Francisco. And the general manager said, sure, you're welcome to show some art here. And we need you to price it above a thousand dollars each because that's our clientele. And I said, there's nobody that's going to buy my art for a thousand and it, they both sold for 1500 each. So, um, adds a lot of confidence there. And it just kept going and going and going. And I was spinning my wheels and just trying to do everything. And then I decided I needed a agent, a licensing agent to help better sell my art so that I could just create and be a flight attendant. And with a greeting card line, we did the show in New York called The Licensing Show when it was at, there every year. And I had like a mini concept pop-up shop of my original art and product and greeting cards and T-shirts. And 
whatever my art was on and somebody had approached and said, I saw your art from down the aisle and, you know, it's very interesting. You know, have you ever thought about writing children's books? And of course I said, well, panic. It was like, Oh no, there's no way because I had trouble reading. I barely made it through high school. I don't have stories. I don't have characters. She was an editor and, um, I came clean. I told her everything. And she said, well, you're kind of already doing it because with your art, you're putting these messages with art and you really are already writing kids books. And I was like, really? I, I, you know, and she's like, what would you do? All she did was stay away from being preachy, teachy and new agey. Those were her words. And what would you come up with? And then that was like opening, you know, my mind of everything that I had struggled with as a kid, everything I went through in school, the kids that made fun of me when I had to repeat second grade, that inspired it's okay to be different, you know, be who you are. When I wrote that book, that was, you know, coming to terms with, I was always trying to be like everybody else because I just didn't like myself or think I was cool. But once I figured out it was easier to just be who I was um, and more fun, more people liked me. So I think those are the things that, of course, you know, I write about now and everything really came from the heart, um, personal struggles or just simply things that you want other kids to be. And it's just basic, simple things in the world, you know, be confident, be kind, believe in yourself. You know, go after your dreams, do your best, everything. So that's really easy for me to speak to because they were all the things that I was not. And that was 20, almost 25 years ago and 60 some books later. So, wow, that's such an inspiring story. So, speaking of kind of how many years later, um, you published in the early 2000s, It's Okay to Be Different, the family book and uh, the feelings book on so many topics that are now really central to what we teach in early childhood. But you did this before people were talking about non-traditional families and social emotional learning. How did you begin with these themes? And, you know, how have these themes then taken on a life of its own? Because I know the stories that I hear from families when they find your books. One of the ways I got here was the, uh, my favorite word, denial, um, and not listening to all the noise and the negativity about what you're doing or trying to do. And I think everybody's always said, you're just, you've been ahead of your time for so many years. You were doing this stuff before social emotional learning became even a focus or a theme. And, and when it's okay to be different came out, that book was in the self help section of Borders bookstore, if you remember Borders. And when I saw it, I was like, no, this is not a self-help book. This is a picture book. This is just matter of fact. This is just, as you're reading a story about pastel bunnies and whatever, it's okay to be different. And so that was kind of hard for me to say, no, this, but the world wasn't ready. And even I can remember the initial books, Barnes and Noble took them only for their metropolitan stores because they weren't sure their urban customers were going to understand what this was. Because again, There were no characters. There were no stories. These colors were in your face. They weren't pastels. And people were like, what are these picture books? Like, what, what, what are they? And I think people just didn't know what to do with them. And slowly, you know, they gravitated towards people that were looking for something like this, something that just told a story of who they were or their family or their kids. 
you know, I struggled a lot with my family growing up. I always wanted to be in somebody else's family because mine was such a disaster that I was like, everybody always had the perfect family to me. And, you know, in part that inspired the family book because I certainly went through school feeling like I didn't have a normal family and I felt embarrassed of my family on top of everything else with me. And so when you write about this stuff, you think if you can inspire just, you know, kids to say, hey, maybe it is just me and my mom or me and my dad, or maybe I live with my grandma or for whatever reasons, it's like, this is my family and they love me and I love them and that's okay. And this is important. Not like, well, how come I don't have a mom and a dad and and a brother and a sister? You just want people to reach to find things that they can relate to. And I think that's what happened with my work. Um, And it was ahead of its time. And now I think it's kind of come full circle where the world has caught up with me. Certainly years ago, you started seeing more and more people doing social emotional books for kids and peace and Zen and Namaste and all these other things that, you know, I sort of was doing without realizing, you know, I didn't have a master plan. I didn't have a degree in child psychology. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just speaking from the heart and that resonated with a lot of people and it still does. And now it over the years, it just became more mainstream now where People know about me, regardless of your situation. You know, if you have two moms in your family or two dads, it's like they've heard of, you know, these books. And people now, I think also, too, instead of saying my child doesn't have social emotional issues, we don't need to deal with that. Maybe they're like, okay, wow, kids are getting their content very early on. And and these issues and things that kids hear about and are learning about at home or at school Instead of people saying, we don't need to deal with that, just push it under the rug, they were like, wow, we should start talking about it. And um, there again, my books were there. But now you sort of feel like people are trying to push it back under the rug again. Kids don't need to learn about being different. Kids don't need to learn about being who you are. Kids don't need to understand that maybe someone in their classroom has two moms. You know, they just want to like erase all that. But they're not offering anything to supplement that. I'm going to ask you a question. I recently had a principal who didn't understand why we needed to tell kids that it was okay to be different. Thank you for doing what you do and trying to make a difference because it does make a huge difference, you know, in kids that um, don't have confidence, you know, when they're younger um, to have allies that people are helping them be more confident about who they are. And that's why the comment about how, why is it important? It's because a lot of kids, you don't know their situation. You don't necessarily know their home life, everything that's happening. And confidence is a, is a big thing that's expected, but it's not always there. And so when you embrace the fact that you're proud of who you are, um, you become a more confident person. But I think that's why kids need to know that, being different and being who they are so important because it makes them more confident as they move forward. There is an increase in book banning across this country, and that's in public libraries and schools as well. Two of your books I've researched, The Family Book and The Family Tree, have been banned in some public libraries, not in all, but in some at certain states. And uh, 
the parents' objections primarily were to the family book that the page that restates that some families have two moms and two dads actually has been accused of pushing a homosexual agenda. Now, how do you respond to that? Because you're right, you were ahead of your time. Now that the time has caught up with you, this is becoming more and more serious now, particularly with one of these far right groups coming out and saying that social emotional development is really the Trojan horse of all of these other things that have been in their minds uh, trying to destroy democracy. And again, I'm not understanding any of that, but what is your take on this? And uh, is this something that we'll just have to weather the storm and keep on going or what is your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on this? Well, the, when the family book came out, it was instantly met with some, some pushback for that very simple page. Um, and then, you know, as it grew and grew, it did become on the banned book list. Um, and it's been there for, you know, at least 10 years and, and certain lists, depending on what you're looking at as a banned book. And so, of course, I've been asked a lot about that. But I think given what I write about, about inclusion and confidence, I, I think you couldn't write a Todd Parr book about families and say a certain family can't be in this book because it may upset someone or but it's more of like, where will it reach? Because the power that that book will do to those families that do have two moms and two dads overpowers any kind of pushback from it. And you can't do what I do and then pick and choose regardless. It's like, I don't come from a same sex family. You know, I didn't even really know about it growing up. But uh, as far as inclusion, how can you have a have someone reading a book that can't find their family in there? They see the single parent, they see all the other situations. And regardless of your opinion of that, don't you want to make kids feel better about who they are and embrace their family situation and not be where I told you I was embarrassed of my family? Um, that's not healthy. That's not adds to your confidence. And so it really doesn't upset me, you know, when people come at me for that about what I'm, there is no agenda. The only agenda is, is helping kids feel good about who they are learning about differences because the world is filled with it and embracing things that just because it's different from you. And I think kids learn so much at home and they learn a lot of hate at home and they hear things and that just, they don't know any better and it continues. And I don't want to debate it with everybody out there. I don't want to, it's very simple for me. You cannot be Todd Parr, write books like I do and exclude certain types of people because you may not agree with it. That's just like, I have no problem with that. You know, think whatever you want to think, feel whatever you want to feel. But if the agenda is helping kids feel better about who they are and being better humans, more confident, stronger, um, to weather some of the things that, you know, now happen. So for me, it's just stay the course, focus on what you're doing. Your books will find their audience. I'm not trying to push them on anybody. The people that, that need my books will find my books. And that's what I can do. A lot of times I get, you have the coolest job in the world. You know, you just get to write books, you know, all day and you get paid for it. And I'm like, yeah, that, that is a cool opportunity. And, but the difference with me is that I get to write books 
that help make a difference. So not only am I getting to do what I want to do, I know that my books are reaching others that need them the most. And that's what makes me feel good is that I'm helping other kids that struggled like I did maybe make things a little bit easier. And that feels good. Absolutely. Well, I'm curious because you have written so many books. Where do you get your inspiration for the new books that you write? I used to think when It's Okay to Be Different came out, like I got nervous, like how many versions of that can you do and still stay relevant? Because that was one of my biggest books where people finally understood maybe what I was trying to do. And so I worried about that for a few years. And then I just never ran out of ideas. And then you also start dissecting the the specifics of why did you have so many struggles and why couldn't you read and why why were you so shy? Why were you afraid to raise your hand? It's like, because you don't want to make mistakes. So I wrote, it's okay to make mistakes because kids need to learn that making mistakes is how we learn and it's okay. But I was afraid to say boo in, you know, one word in about anything. Cause I was, something was bad was going to happen. And then you hear from other people and they go, Todd, do you have a book about saying, you know, about grief and saying goodbye. And I said, oh, it's been on the list for seven years because I know the topics I write about, like taking care of the earth and peace can be very hard to understand for the age group that I write for. And, you know, part of what brings them in is a simple artwork style because I think I can draw like that Um, and the playfulness of it. And then, you know, they may take away part of the message of that book. But I've I've just learned. And so for the goodbye book, I thought about it and I thought, I really need to do this. I need to find a way that helps kids deal with saying goodbye. And it's over losing the class pet, grandparent, parent, all these things. How do you talk about it? How do you talk about it? Because as adults, we don't know what to say either. You know, a close friend loses their mom. People struggle to be like, oh, I know exactly how you feel. Well, you don't, but you do, but you're struggling to find the right words to say to me, to make me feel better. And they're just sometimes aren't words. They're just like, I'm so sorry. And leave it at that. Not I've lost my grandma, my mom, my dad, my sister, you know? And so for kids, I thought it's sometimes just a few words and simple pictures help us understand things easier. And I think even with adults, And to the goodbye book, when I finally had a breakthrough one weekend over how I was going to touch this delicate thing, um, right after the book came out, I got an email from someone who was probably in their 70s. And they said, a friend of mine who's a librarian gave me your goodbye book. And for the first time in two weeks, I actually slept after losing my husband of 55 years. And she said, I have to extend my condolences to you because somebody could not have written a book like that without experiencing grief themselves. And I, this was so true, you know, because I did lose my mom at a very young age. I did lose my best friend the day I graduated. I, there was a lot of that happening for me, but think about the younger kids. And so it's sort of what inspires me. I think, what can I write about? And then sometimes you just need a break. So like um, I have monster Mac and cheese party coming out. It's all just about, monsters that are invited to this macaroni and cheese party just bring your own macaroni and cheese but no (laughs) humans because they make boring macaroni and cheese out of a box 
and there's recipes in it and it's just fun. And I think sometimes like I'm thinking kids need a break from social emotional learning too. So just let's just have some fun with a monster macaroni and cheese party. And then maybe I'll do another monster book. But then after that, I have another book sitting that's you'll always have me. And maybe it'll be the right time to put that out again. And I think it's like a recipe of you've got to have simplicity. You've got to have non-threatening things. You've got to have things that draw you and things that make you laugh. Easy things to understand. And I think that's how we all learn. Well, when we started, I kind of mentioned uh, to you that our homegrown Mississippi curriculum, Growing Healthy Bodies, Minds, and Communities, really was designed to promote anti-bullying with young children. And young children, everyone that we work with, tends to embrace this message. And then sometimes we see that they forget it. So I'm curious. Have you um, experienced this? I know you mentioned personally that you were a target of bullying as a young kid. Why do you think we tend to forget that message? And what would you say to that? You know, in part, that's why I wrote the kindness book, because, you know, kindness is so simple. And I think that we are, are all born kind. And I think we're taught to be kind, I think we just sometimes forget even as grownups and you need little reminders, just a few words and simple pictures to remind you like, Oh yeah. Kindness. I'm like, who cares? I'm, I'm that already, but you know, you give these reminders and I think, you know, it's like the, the bullying thing. I don't know what triggers that. Is it fear? Is it lack of understanding? Are you threatened? Um, it is, it's also depending, you know, on my age group, it's learned behavior. You know, you're hearing these things someplace and it's usually at home. And if it isn't at home, it can be at school with somebody else that's hearing it at home. And you don't even know what a lot of this means at my age group, but you repeat it or you do it. Again, I was in a few fights in school. That's just what happened, but it was because People were making fun of me. And then, you know, you're afraid, you're scared. You don't, you, you know, you, you just fight back, I think. And, and I think sometimes with the bullying thing, you're hiding from something within yourself already and you're trying to project a different image. It's like I wrote, be who you are. You know, you want everybody to think you're this cool, tough, whatever, but yet, you have a broken home life. You are struggling with yourself. You're who you are. But you project it in a way that makes somebody else, you feel better for making somebody else feel worse. And, you know, it's it's interesting from what I went through as a kid and also what I try and do and help kids because you can't overcomplicate this. It's just simply be nice. Treat others how you would like to be treated. But even being an adult, you know, and talking about the family book, I'm sure you can imagine the amount of negative energy hate that is directed at someone like me for writing of 65 books, one that has two moms and two dads, because it's a fact and it's okay to be different, which doesn't mean anything other than what I've said over and over. It's just helping kids feel better about who they are. Um, So I see it now in a whole different format. Now I see threatening Things to me. I see it brings you back to school where you're afraid to go in a certain door because somebody might beat you up or they were waiting for you. 
you know, it's as an adult doing what I do, and and I'm sure you've seen the drag queen story time. They've gravitated towards my books very early on. No affiliation with them whatsoever. They just saw the message, love the world, be who you are. And they love to spread that. And with that, you know, I'm attached to that. And so it's daily that you encounter stuff like that. But I think, you know, now I understand it more. I don't, I don't take it personally. And I realize that I'm still doing more good, but absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Your message has meant so much to so many children and teachers. It's amazing to me that you don't have an early childhood background because you definitely get young children. We have a real interest in children that live in rural areas of the country and that they're often left out in depictions or, or you know, topics that are, are brought about in books. And your books are, uh, I guess you could say, universal in terms of the demographics. It's not specific to where you live or uh, you're African-American or Native American or, you know, that that's not part of it. And because we have access problems, resource access problems in rural areas, uh, it's even more important for books like yours to be available and for information that you're providing. And I hope that we're really going to push this particular podcast so that teachers and librarians can hear your comments. Because uh, and, and Kenya's got friends who've had first-line experiences with the, I, I guess you could say, aggressive uh, behaviors on people who are trying to remove libraries, I think, out of communities or particularly they're putting a lot of barriers and uh, requirements on librarians in terms of the books that are in the, the public libraries. And so, uh, you know, unfortunately, there seems to be a at right now a, a period of time where there's more about censorship uh, than I can remember in 40 something years of being in the field. And so uh, I think that the main thing is for your messages, like you've just shared with us today, because it's very simple. What you've said is very simple. There's no hidden agenda here. And that people can get all caught up on uh, what their agendas are and try to read into yours or other people's, which is totally off base. It's not even remotely connected. So we really do appreciate uh, your comments. And uh, maybe someday we can see about you coming to Mississippi. Do you uh, do speaking engagements around the country? Yeah, I, I did. I Like all of our lives changed with COVID, but I was, you know, I was all over the place, including Singapore every two years, Shanghai. So it's kind of like all over the country, all over the world, and then two years of not. And then it was filled with hundreds of Zooms. Um, and now it's sort of the aftermath of it all. Like, where did what just happened? Where did we land? It's like I see a Zoom coming up and I'm like, oh, I just it just needed a break. So I think eventually I'm arriving back at where I'll be back out again. And it's like, the, you know, once you do one, it'll be easy to do more. So the the answer is yes, I I, I will go back on the road. And then also to what you said you know, people sometimes ask me if it bothers me with the hate that I get over things for trying to help 
you know, kids be more confident. And I think the frontline people are the people like you that are dealing with the aggression day to day. Um, I can block the bad, the words. I can have filters on social media. I can save myself from, you know, getting involved in that. But I know there have been teachers that have been fired uh, for issues relating to this. I know there was a school counselor in Indiana that lost his job over the family book. The family book had been in in the library, his library, seven years or more, and one small, very vocal group involved the local church, and it became a very big deal. And those are the people that I feel sorry for, and not for me. It, this doesn't hurt my feelings. It, there's nothing makes me feel bad. I feel bad for the people that are just trying to make a difference and help kids like you're doing that you have to take that aggression at you for just trying to help. We can argue, how did we get here? When did it become okay for for people to be like things are today? Like, it wasn't overnight. Is it one person? Was it a few people that, like, this has all been bubbling in there. It's just like, oh, the red carpet's out. Now we can all jump on this this horrible, hateful thing. I mean, it's like, I don't know when it happened, but what is wrong with just simply wanting people to feel good about who they are, believe in themselves, have confidence, live their life, enjoy their life, do the things that they want to do, and just treat others with kindness and respect. And also feel that no matter what your situation is, it's your family, it's your life. And when you're confident you become a better human being. And what is wrong with that for people? Like, why wouldn't we want that for all of us? Life is so short. There's so many things that are, that happen that take life away from us, that interfere with life. There's so much sadness. I've certainly had my share of it, but I'm still here and I want to live. I'm like, there are so many things. I want to pet my dogs again, you know, on their next walk. It's like the little things in life. And that's just simply everything that I do, what it's about. And and it just people are so threatened by this world of peace and kindness and confidence and people being happy and living because life's hard enough. And I don't know why that is so threatening. And if you can help kids do that. At four years old, five years old, isn't it easier than when they're in therapy in their 40s and 50s trying to struggle with all this stuff that happened and the hate they faced? And, you know, and that's all you're trying to do is make life better and easier for these kids to navigate all the things that life throws at us. And so that's an extended thank you to you for inviting me. Um, I know I get very long answers, but it is also a personal thank you for thinking of me and doing what you do every day and dealing with what you have to deal with, because I have an idea of what goes on. So thank you. Well, we thank you. I just want to say that you're going to give our listeners a great deal to think about. And that's what we're all about is to try to create thoughts and conversations among the general public. 
Todd Parr, we thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. If you have an early education topic you'd like to discuss, let us know about it at edsup at olemiss.edu. The Ed's Up podcast is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity. 